I'm here with Matt and Don, the founder and CEO of Emergent 3D in California. They just finished the first permitted 3D printed building in this state, which is an incredible accomplishment here. Congratulations, guys. Thank you. And now we're going to have a podcast episode and discuss uh, the project we saw yesterday. Hopefully the print we'll see today. Uh, before we get into that, I'd really like to thank you guys for letting me stop by and film this project. Uh, one of the early YouTube videos about it, so that's really cool for me. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so when you first came up with the idea as the founder, uh, what was that like for you, and how did you then bring Don onto the process? Yeah, so uh, actually I've been watching YouTube, <laughs> so thank you and encouragement to, to you and, and others that are uh, in those early days, though. Yeah. yeah, I think we were both talking about how we saw like the $10,000 printed house video. It sparked some interest. That's right. And uh, and not being a heavily technology guy, I, that just that, that blew my mind that you can print a house using a, an upscale, upgraded, large uh, 3D printer to do a house. And so I was intrigued and started doing the research. And then as I as I went further in my research, oh, I recognized oh, 3D printing is an exponential technology. So this what is in rudimentary form now is going to just start uh, growing in capability, uh, capacity uh, year on year. And so sure enough, that's that's what happened. And um, and actually, we um, my family and I moved here to Redding, California, uh, two weeks before our nationally declared disaster, the car oh, wow. fire. Yeah. And I had been watching this technology, and we had moved here with the intent to, to start this company. What I didn't know was Emergent 3D at that point, but then the car fire happened. And, uh, and so uh, I ended up getting hired for uh, the, excuse me, the FEMA-funded disaster case management program that was serving the 300 families here that were uninsured or severely underinsured and being a part of our uh, recovery effort. And that's where Don and I met. Um, and I was heading up the disaster case management subcommittee. And Don, as a part of this recovery team, he was uh, heading up the construction committee. And through our community um, working together, I realized, oh, we're not gonna be able to recover in the way that we had hoped. And Don certainly could speak more to where the, the labor force here and all that was, but having a um, an ability to make a fire resistant, um, the recovery effort be accelerated and the construction side, uh, all of those things, mm -hmm. I realized, okay, well, this could be a, a really uh, practical, good solution for our recovery effort. And that's really uh, out of the ashes, as it were, that uh, Emergent 3D was born from the car fire. Yeah. I was at your house, Don, last night for dinner, uh, which was great, and uh, you showed me your backyard, which is where the fire tornado drove through, um, and I guess that's what motivated you to join the recovery committee. Uh, I'm surprised you guys didn't go with the name like Phoenix or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the it really hits close to home for you guys being impacted by fires, uh, and you have a history of working in nonprofit and... Uh, how would you say? Yeah, as a humanitarian. Mm -hmm. uh, so we uh, were serving in, in conflict areas in the Middle East uh, and uh, before I was married in, in uh, Sudan when they were having uh, the genocide that was happening there. Um, and so uh, the, the and, and that is the ethos of our, of our company is to help uh, people um, in, in need and specifically within <clears throat> housing because we have a, I know it's across the country, but here in California, the housing crisis is very acute. Mm -hmm. But then you layer on top of that our our national disasters that are, are happening. Uh, two weeks, well, three three months after our car fire, the campfire uh, happened, and where we lost around 1,100 homes, they lost 14,000 uh, homes. The whole town was wiped from the map, and so. Um, that is another area that we're actively helping to, uh, with the recovery effort there, uh, bringing housing uh, solutions. So before you met Don, you were interested in the 3D printing thing, and uh, you hadn't ordered a printer yet? That's right. No, it was just still in the, in the research phase. and uh, You knew you needed someone with construction experience. Absolutely, yeah. And so uh, and at that point, everybody was kind of 
thinking I was watching too much of the Jeffersons or, you know, uh, of uh, Star Wars or Star Trek. Um, but uh, started uh, visiting with one of my buddies and I said, hey, this is what I got I want to do and uh, this is the opportunity here. So he was the early angel investor. And so then I uh, engaged a, uh, a friend of mine who is a world-class architect, uh, told him about it. And he said, how did you know about this before I did? Um, and so brought him on board and then our structural engineer. And then we just started uh, working at uh, designing uh, a 3D printed house. Uh, obviously, because I was new to California and not being heavily into construction, I uh, didn't realize the high, high bar for the construction, yeah. uh, the codes here. It's one of the, the toughest in, in, I think, all 50 states. Um, and so we were actually starting to go down one track and then I, I started going researching all the top uh, 3D printer, 3D printer <clears throat> manufacturers uh, in Europe. And, uh, and then when uh, when visited Kobot, it quickly became apparent that they, they were the forerunners. And uh, that was early days, that was 2018, 2019. Uh, 2019, I think, I think is when I went out and did that trip. Um, and uh, and so uh, that's when I uh, decided to, to, to start focusing on, on, on Kobot. And, and then they actually, um, because they had the first 3D printed uh, house in Europe, were able to give us insight on how they did it and brought it back to our structural engineer and architect. And um, that ultimately is uh, and very much with Don's involvement, and we can get into that, those three together, the architect, structural engineer, and Don, being able to find a way through the existing code. Uh, and But even then, it was still a heavy lift. <laughs> To yep. get that uh, figured out. There's a lot of stars that need to align for a printed house to be built, especially permitted in a residential populated region. Uh, you mentioned the architect and structural engineer. Two more that are kind of on Don's side, maybe you can kind of walk us through, uh, is the municipal relationship and the labor unions you have on board too. Yeah, that's for sure. There, You, you talk about the stars aligning. There, there needed to be a bunch of those. And yeah. So those are two other factors. I, as as Matt said, I've, I mean, I've lived here in in the Shasta County area now for about thirty two years, and so <clears throat> I know a lot of people in within the community. A lot of people in the community know me, and so after we had our car fire, again, as Matt said, that's where we met because I was asked if I would serve on that long term recovery committee that FEMA had established, running the construction. Uh, subcommittee portion of it and so um, it was through relationship with with the folks in our municipalities that I was even asked to serve there um, my willingness to do that I think became maybe even part of the catalyst that got them excited when two years later we approached them about this idea of 3d printing right so um, in our case we've always felt it's really important to build good partnerships good relationships uh, and and it has served us well in doing that mm -hmm. and so now an extension of that is with LIUNA, our, our union labor force. Every one of our field workers are represented by LIUNA, and that was absolutely by design. It's, uh, it's an easy narrative for somebody to tell that the robots are stealing our jobs, and we wanted to address that head on. And LIUNA was so forward thinking when we approached them that they said, you know, we see this as the future as well. It, it, might, it might take some time, and it will, to, to really gain some momentum, but they see this as a future and they they came up on board with us, you know, with both feet, they jumped in. Yeah. So we're really thankful for that relationship. It has already been paying off and we see really bigger dividends in the future as they develop training centers. They're talking even national training centers for 3D printing uh, because as this thing grows and spreads, it would be really nice to make to be able to make a phone call and get fully trained 3D print employees, which right now are not existing. Yeah, you mentioned you guys have national growth ambitions, and to achieve that, uh, construction historically hasn't been very scalable, but you were mentioning 3D printing is exponential, uh, which is the most scalable almost you could be. So yeah. uh, having access to a workforce in that region that knows how to operate the printer, the three to six guys you need uh, is instrumental to being able to print there. 
and you're talking about the future benefits of the union. So the guys there now, uh, how are they going to train or how big is the union? What's that going to look like moving forward as it evolves? So to speak to the size of the union, I, I'm not positive number numbers wise, to be honest, but they are a national organization. Uh, some of the stories we heard directly from them was, for example, after the disaster of 9-11, Lyuna was called to come up with the safety protocols for digging through the rubble of the towers, for example. Mm. They, they are involved at that level nationally, right? And so uh, that, that confirmed to us when, we were, when they were telling us those kinds of stories that we, we partnered with the right team. So they're very procedural, I guess, and they uh, have a history of educating the newer union members so that they're prepared when they reach the site? Very much so. They're, they're very safety-oriented, obviously. They are all about the employees, which, in our case, prior to even thinking about the thought of uh, joining a union for our company, we knew that we wanted to pay well. One of the stories I tell, and... I'm not ashamed to say it, it's just the economics of it all. I've been a builder for many, many years, and the homes that we've built over the years, the very guys and girls working on those homes could not afford to buy those homes. If we can up the wage, we can up the benefits, if we can pay a better living wage and remain competitive because we have this technology that allows us to do so, and perhaps at some point, not yet, there's no $10,000 printed homes yet, I get that. But at some point when we can start realizing some cost savings, then maybe we can flip that script. And maybe the very people building the homes can buy the homes mm -hmm. as well. And that, that would be a dream come true for me. Yeah, certainly. It's cool to see you get involved in the community and you give back and then it kind of comes back for you. You were pointing out some of the houses you built in the community. So you build those relationships and then it improves your business. Uh, I guess you're a strong believer that you do good in the world and it's uh, that's a good, like, money isn't always made by evil or like doing mean things. Sometimes you could do good things and get a return. You know, um, so Matt was mentioning the car fire that we had, and that's what you're referring to. <clears throat> that's, that was the, that, that's the service we were doing as our community was recovering. Um, me and my family, we had to evacuate our home. Uh, the fire NATO, I, I remember when I got home that evening, I could hear all the helicopters and I could hear sirens in the distance. But the fire was on the other side of the Sacramento River, and I thought, what a great fire break. I mean, we should be good. We've got this perfect fire break. Makes sense. Next thing I know, the police are driving through our neighborhood telling us, get out and get out now. We throw a bunch of stuff in the truck, and I remember distinctly, I could no longer hear the helicopters or the sirens. I couldn't hear any of that. I just heard the roar of this fire NATO. As we were driving away and I see that in my rear view mirror, I remember the anxiety inside of me, like, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do tomorrow? Where Stuck are we going to live? Uh, what about my house? I don't, like, and, and I'm a builder and I'm wondering, I'm, I have anxiety, like, oh my gosh, like a bunch of us are going to need homes. Us too. Where, I'm already thinking, where am I going to live tomorrow? Come to find out that many of my friends, many of my acquaintances took comfort it's all right, I know Don, I know a builder, he'll rebuild. And I wouldn't dare let him know the anxiety I had, much less, you know, that they were putting their trust in me. And so I remember driving away after I found out, actually I didn't find out for another three days that our home was spared. The fire did come to our back fence, but thankfully somehow it didn't burn the house down. Um, I, uh, uh, I realized as we were talking about trying to help these 300 people or, you know, 1,100 some people lost their homes. I remember thinking, A, it could have been me. B, it could have been one of my family. I've got children here and grandkids. It could have been one of my family. It was some of my friends, right? Like this touched us all. And as a community, um, I knew we had to rally together. One of the things I used to tell people, um, a couple of things, one is, that um, the cavalry is not coming. Shasta County was only one place that we had a fire disaster. And quite frankly, if somebody was gonna travel from elsewhere to come help us rebuild, they wouldn't come to Shasta County. They'd go to a more affluent area if they're gonna live out of a suitcase. 
Sure enough, Calvary didn't come. We were on our own to rebuild our community, and I'm, we're good with that, but it took all of us to rally together to do it, you know. So it, it was, it was um, that, that was the heart of what got us together, quite frankly, is we still want to rebuild in disaster-struck areas. Disaster recovery is a big part of what we want to do. Workforce housing, like we touched on earlier, is a big part of what we want to do. Um, and then we've just got this crazy homelessness issue that there is no single answer, and this isn't a single answer either. There's a lot, there's pallet shelters, and there's all kinds of other things. There's mental health issues. We get it. There's all of that. But a factor is a roof over somebody's head. Yeah. We can certainly be a part of that. Yeah. And, and so with Layuna, with you know, we're in the state of California, love it or hate it, California will spend money on solving those problems. And that's what we're here for. We want to be a part of that solution. Yeah, yeah I think it's important uh, to have your contractor experience in this emerging field. A lot of people, they buy the printer and they're expecting a product that's like a MacBook or a microphone <laughs> where you turn it on and it works like it's expected all the time. Right. But uh, there's so many more steps for the printer and it's a skill to operate. Uh, sometimes an art more than a science. Uh, and so facing those challenges and overcoming them requires kind of like the old school street smarts of a contractor, it seems like. Uh, are there any examples of things you've had to combat? Uh, I'm sure there's some maybe you'd like to keep to yourself or any you can discuss. Oh gosh, I mean, there's probably hundreds of them, really. Um, just getting so, one of the contingencies I never planned for was the equipment, quite mm -hmm. frankly. There isn't a lot I can do. I mean, I'm hoping the equipment works as advertised. And for the most part, it does. But there are a thousand things that can go wrong with a 3D printer system and, and, the, uh, and the material delivery system. There are connections everywhere. There's all kinds of issues. And any one of those can shut you down for the day. So... Um, so we do the best we can there, and we have generally been pretty successful with it. We've got a good support team from Cobot that helps us out if and when there are issues that come up. Uh, but then, but but then, printing is only what ten percent. Printing those walls is maybe ten percent of building that house. You still now have a house to finish, and every single trade is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Every little issue is different, and. Quite frankly, we're still dealing with people who have real life issues. And if if somebody who is not in the trades think they can just hit a button and build a house, you know, um, you still have a, you know, you still have roof trusses. So you still have carpenters that have to come in. And that one carpenter had a fight with his wife and so he didn't show up to work or some any other issues. There are a thousand different things that you have to work out just in construction in general, much less the specific differences of this type of construction. So we are, in a lot of ways, inventing an industry with, with every day that we are in this business right now. In my experience, construction doesn't have always the best communication. Sometimes the drywall guy goes over the sockets before the electric's in, or the, uh, the drywall guy spackles over the socket or something. Uh, different, like how do you, increase the communication on the job site in a situation where they, they're encountering things for the first time they've never seen before. Uh, and you want them to explore their own creativity in finding solutions. Yeah, so one, one nice thing is that this is exciting and new, so we've got their attention. Uh, a lot of the subs, if they're just used to doing the same old thing, then, then you're right. They don't really, their head's not in it. They got their earbuds on and they're doing what they're doing. But this is new and exciting and we've got their attention. So that definitely helps. Yeah. Uh, secondly, and it's part of Emergent 3D's business model, uh, right now, the work we're doing in Shasta County and the surrounding areas, uh, we are also in control of the general contracting of it. However, when we work outside of this area, we want to work with a local general contractor. We will be their 3D printing sub, but we'll work with one of their locals so that they can bring their trusted subs and suppliers that they're in relationship with and then we will educate them to come along so the, again the beauty of it is is that people are fully engaged because it's so new and fresh and they see it an exciting future so that that part of it really helps 
I think there's a lot of general contractors out there eager to get involved with this technology. And if you, as a subcontractor operating the printers, enable that for them, uh, I think people would be very interested in that. What's the time frame that you'll have the capacity to do that? Uh, we're, we're there now. And so uh, we, we had a, sex, a successful seed round uh, this summer. And so we're, we're poised to scale. We know that we're gonna scale. Uh, we're starting here locally, uh, but we have inquiries from across the country um, and uh, even internationally. Um, so we, and, and that's what we, we say to, to, to general contractors. We've already figured it out. We've already done the heavy lifting. We got the team of experts, uh, let us serve you well, and, um, and then uh, and we can accelerate uh, the whole process overall. If they want to get into it, they're going to have to go through, honestly, I don't know what we say, two years of heavy lifting. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it isn't, like you said, not just pushing the space bar. There's a, a, so much that goes into it. And so, um, but we've already, we've already cleared the path in that regard. And so um, we're, we're there now and we just, we want to, we want to get homes built. So yeah. 3D printed. <laughs> that two year time frame is that for permitting purposes or is that for the educational purposes? Where, how are you making that estimate? All of the above. Uh, so here in California, I mean, yeah. uh, that obviously in order to get through the building code, uh, that took us uh, a dedicated year of, of the experts really banging away at it. And so uh, it, it would be easier in other, uh, other states that mm -hmm. are, don't have to deal with the seismic or the as high of an energy requirement, et cetera. Um, but to get your team together, to get the infrastructure together, to figure out really what you're doing, to get everything really dialed in. I think that's fair, two years, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, yeah, the learning curve is pretty steep even before you get started, you know. Even even the first model home plan that our architect designed, it was done before I was even on board. We look at that now and realize that's really not 3D printable. You know, that's not something that we can actually produce. We'd have, we have to make some changes. And so even he had a learning curve. And, mm -hmm. and, and then on top of that, you got to figure out, you know, how am I going to pay for that machine? When will that machine pay for itself? But if there's a contractor or developer out there that just wants to get into the industry and they don't want the huge capital investment and they don't want the long learning curve of coming up to speed and they figure, you know, I can build a house. I just don't know all of that voodoo. That I feel like that's where we can come in. And it becomes a win-win, quite frankly. We can bring this technology all over. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting uh, the time differences between people expect they get a printer, they might print 52 houses their first year, by the second year comes around, maybe they have three more printers. They have that expectation, but it's that's not really the reality when it comes down to it. Let's say permitting was handled and you get the printer delivered uh, day zero. How many days until you... Is the education completed before the printer arrives, or does it all have to happen hands-on? Hmm. Can you clarify? I'm not so with permitting out of the way. We're ready to build, right? We're ready to build. So generally, what we've been doing with our first homes is that we're doing a semi-conventional slab-on-grade foundation. And then the printing happens after that. So it, assuming that happens, again, once permitting happens, you can go to work as soon as you can go to work, get the underground utilities in, get the slab poured, and we come set up. Our setup's gonna take a handful of days. So if we're talking an experienced crew like what we have now, setup's gonna take a few days. And depending on the size of the house, the current 1200 square foot house that we have permitted and designed, if we have four good print days, we can get it done. We have yet to have four good print days in a row, but we'll get there and we're learning. I make no bones about that. And you know, we're working bugs out, but four good print days and we can do that. And then it's a few days to tear down and, and remobilize. If it's a new crew coming up to speed, I can tell you that when we took delivery of our, our equipment, uh, our manufacturer sent a team, Cobot sent a team out here to train us on site 
And they trained us for two solid weeks, and that's what they call their level two training. Mm -hmm. Level one training happened online, and that was a week's worth of training online. So uh, there was quite a learning curve. And, and quite frankly, even before that, we were paying for our team to go work on the crews of other 3D printers in different parts of the country just to gain some real world experience nice. mm -hmm. if possible. And it all helped. Are you, can you say which printers they worked on? Which company? Which sure. manufacturer you mean? Either. So they were, in both cases where we sent them, they were Cobot, mm -hmm. they were Cobot printers. And then the company, one of them was We Print Homes down in Arizona, and the other was Nidus 3D up in Canada. Mm -hmm. They were both welcoming. I mean, um, the flip side is we covered their costs. They got some free labor out of the deal. But I thought, what a fair, what a great trade. Yeah, I think that's smart. It's yeah. a great trade. We got some good education out of the deal. So I'm very thankful for both those companies. Yeah. How is the network effect with the Cobot community? There's so many different people with Cobot printers. Uh, are you guys tight-knit? I think so. It feels like Cobot is really encouraging that even more and more nowadays. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like it is. I guess it's been a small group. I know from experience with like online groups, when they're small in the beginning, it's not super active all the time. But uh, as it grows, it's uh, more and more useful. And uh, it's I guess it's just tricky. You guys work so hard to figure out the best solutions for things. It's kind of your competitive advantage at some point. So every company has something they want to kind of keep to themselves and. That's uh, fair, that, yeah. and that's really true. <clears throat> and it's not wrong either. It's just uh, the way business is. You don't want to give away all your competitive secrets. But at the same time, there's some stuff that's low-hanging fruit that ideally could be shared. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It, there are some of those kinds of things. With a simple site visit, they're going to see it. So what's the big mystery, right? So, But I would agree. There are certain things I'm sure everybody keeps a little closer to the chest. To illuminate some of the R&D challenges, can we talk about the hose management system? Sure. What's that been like? So uh, when we first ordered our machine, and okay, so we're talking specifically Cobot. When we first ordered our machine, basically the hose management system was the hose going up and over a pulley. And uh, when I first saw that in action, it was in Virginia about a year ago with um, Alquist 3D. And they literally had to have somebody on the back end of that hose either pulling it by hand to take up the slack or they tied a rope to it with a bobcat and they were driving back and forth. Yeah, that guy wasn't my size. He was like probably 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> That's right. Bear hugging the, the hose. I mean, it's a three inch diameter hose, 60 feet long, maybe filled with concrete. Filled so. with concrete. Yes. <laughs> and you had to keep that, that you know, you, you couldn't let all that loop just hang out in your print area because it's going to interfere with your print. So that was hose management, you know, version one. When we placed our order, they had developed what they called their version two hose management system, which when they described it to me, I thought was genius. And I actually visited Denmark. I visited their plant in December of last year and I saw it sitting in the corner and I said, oh, can I take a picture? And they said, no, we don't. We'd rather you don't because we don't have it all patented. We don't have it all worked out yet. So, but I checked it out, really cool. I thought whoever invented that's a genius. Um, not only the hardware, but the software and the way it was going to work, I thought, that is incredible. By the time we were ready to take delivery, they invented the next level, uh, what they're calling their advanced hose management system, which is what we ended up getting. We never even got version 2. We upgraded to version 3 now, and, uh, and that's what was delivered, and that's what the Cobot team came and installed on our machine. And... Um, we are actually, we used it fully in its fully designed state on our first print. My, the one challenge I have with it is that it introduces so much more hose length. Mm. And as you know, one of the things you want to do is move material through the hose. You want to get it from pump to extruded as quickly as you can. You just want to keep it moving. The less hose, the better. And so it introduced, because it's running all the way down your y-axis and then all the way down and back on your x-axis. So uh, we did it. We had issues probably like everybody does. We had a clog here and there every now and again, and we'd have to deal with it. And we had, you know, probably 200 feet of hose to manage during those, those challenges. 
Now we are simply bypassing the advanced hose management system on the y-axis. We are still using it on X because it's it's great. Mm -hmm. Like it really works very well. We're just not having it run through the entire y-axis anymore. We're just we're leaving a coil on the ground, and because of the way our house is designed, we're not traveling that far along the y-axis. We're our house is designed such that we have these full height openings, so we can print. Uh, from from zero to eight feet before we even start the other side. So so our travel along the Y is fairly limited. So we can just leave a little coil there and have it just get into the X axis. And we've eliminated somewhere, I think, 60 or 80 feet of hose, which is huge in yeah. our part. So I really like the concept. And there will be times that we have to use the entire hose management system. This This modified idea won't work on some designs or on bigger prints, but but uh, it, it was a nice idea uh, for us to make a modification for this house, that's for sure. Do you know when you'll get the second printer? Mm. Uh, for us, it, it is once we have enough uh, homes under contract yeah. to, to trigger number two. And so we are, uh, our pipeline is, is filling up quickly. And so uh, we're on the cusp of that. Um, but uh, there's, that's why number one was so important is everybody wanted the proof of concept to see and the conversations that we've been in with, you know, developers or housing nonprofits or municipalities. Everybody was kind of waiting to see, can it be done? Is this science fiction or is this science fact? And now that we're, we're past that milestone that it's science fact, um, then, you know, the, the larger uh, contracts will come in and, and then we'll start getting additional printers. But those bigger developments take, to your point, they take time to, to, to come to market, right. to be ready to go, you know, and, you know, certainly we've had, since we finished printing our first home, we've clearly had an uptick on our, our website, on our mm -hmm. social media, clearly. But, hey, that's really cool, <laughs> translating to a shovel-ready project, that's a, that's a very big leap. And so, to Matt's point, it's... It's, it's project-driven. Um, we've got our funding mechanism in place. Literally, the day that we have a volume that justifies it, we'll order our second printer. Or, or geography, that could be another thing. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at places, as Matt said, all over the country. For, and so, it won't make sense to transport our printer. When we've got jobs to do right here, and, and we've got a few to do elsewhere in the state or in the country, and it's far enough away, it would just make more sense to hire and train a crew there and just, just start growing from there as well. Yeah, I get a lot of these, a lot of people reaching out to me about they want a 3D printed house. It's hard fielding requests like that because out of a thousand of them, five have realistic expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that we've, uh, one of our filters, I guess I'd say, is if the conversation is cost driven, then we know we're probably not going to make a connection because to your point there is no ten thousand dollar printed house right i think i think that bubble's been burst what we're telling people is there is no there will be cost savings when we get really good at it when we can start even 3d printing the foundation and do some other things we'll we'll find ways to, there will be some money saved when we print a wall if we're not putting extra finishes exterior interior We'll, we will save money. It'll come. We're not there. So if cost is your factor, then we're probably not your solution. Our big sell is design, right? My entire career has been straight, square, and plumb. If it's not straight, square, and plumb, you've done something wrong. Now with 3D printing, if all you're doing is straight, square, and plumb, you're doing something wrong. I, I, it, it trips me out that people are doing 3D printing and when you drive by, you would never know because it's straight, square, and plumb. I love that we can do curves and bevels and angles and things that would have been so incredibly cost prohibitive before. That's where I could tell people, okay, yeah, you could save money. Try building this shaped house with sticks and more, you know, and mortar, right? Um, I, I guarantee I could print, print that house cheaper. But if we're talking square, we're, it's just not an apples for apples comparison. And, that, and that's what we're trying to let people know is, please let your imagination run wild about what we can do. Like we can, we can do curves that 
were never possible before. We could do shapes that never existed in, in architecture without really just spending an absolute fortune. Yeah, definitely. All technologies are expensive in the beginning, and especially in the you're certainly early adopters. If there's something before that, I don't know, you'd be in that category even potentially, but uh, almost developers, like you guys are changing the way the technology is implemented. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a big deal. And I think being the first permitted home in California in such a tough state to get uh, permits gives you a monopoly on the, for the time being. So anybody who wants to print a home in California basically has nowhere else to go. Uh, until somebody else wins a permit on a, on a house. Yeah. Uh, how does the inspection process for that home differ from a traditionally built home? So, so that's a great question. There, there again, um, relationship helps a ton because our head building official asked me the same question. Don, when are our triggers for inspections? How, when do we come inspect? Like with conventional construction, it's, it's obvious. We know you come at these certain milestones. And I said, Jeremy, I don't know. I said, how about for now, you just said, we'll, we'll call for an inspection every single day. Just come see what we're doing. And we will together work out the milestones because truly, I don't know right now. And, but let's, we'll put our heads together and do it. And again, there was enough relationship, enough trust. Um, and quite frankly, that wasn't a bad idea, yeah. right? Why don't we just do that and we'll come up with it. And so that's, that's what we're doing. And so we don't have it figured out yet. We're still doing daily inspections. You keep your job sites pretty organized. Some contractors, the inspector every day would be a nightmare, but uh, <laughs> yeah. that was smart. And I think that the inspector was probably scratching his head thinking the same thing. Like, how is this going to go? Yeah. 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 I, well, I'll, I'll take the risk. Um, we got assigned a fairly young inspector and, and so there's a lot of things that, and he's just, he's being extremely careful. There's a part of that being careful that I actually kind of like. When we were getting our plans plan checked, it, it went through five different structural engineers and it went back and forth four times before we got that permit. As a builder who ultimately, it's our responsibility, like our liabilities on the line for these things not even necessarily the city who permitted that thing. It's us. So there's a part of that careful that I really like. Our inspector is no different. Um, so we're having to walk him through things that, that perhaps we had conversations with the head, head uh, building official about, but we're walking him through it and we're getting through it. And he's learning just like the rest of us are, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, once you wrap your head around the vertical columns that are traditionally poured with rebar, it's not like the building will come, it's not dependent on the material that's printed to be structural for the roof. Uh, so any, if there was a crack or failure in the material, it would be uh, non-structural. That's right. right. Yeah, but still, and, and we had to do on our first one here in Reading, we had to do a test to test the strength of the bond between layers and specifically for the section of wall in between those columns. The idea being, hey, if the wind blows hard enough or if you know, a, you know, you're in a tornado and a two by four comes launching at it, what, what's it gonna take to break that wall, right? They wanted to test the bond between layers. And so that was something that we had to prove to them uh, even uh, even on the non-structural components, I guess you could say. And so um, while Cobot and their training team were here, they were doing some test prints and they printed these things that I could best describe as these maybe like pots, you know, like flower pots. They were just a diameter that they printed these things up. And, and after it was done, we moved them off site and um, they were sitting over there and just to check it out, one of our employees, I wanted to see what does it look like if you break this. So he took a sledgehammer and he went to break it. It took him three or four hits, number one, <laughs> to even break that chunk off. Um, and I wish I had a picture of it. But from the outside and from the inside, you could see the stratified layers. Like clearly you could see that this was 3D printed. But when you look at that broken edge that mm -hmm. was created by the, by the break, it absolutely looked like one piece. It looked like it was something that was poured in place. You, you didn't see any lines. And I thought, oh my gosh, our, our little bonding test is gonna pass with flying colors. And sure enough, it did. It, 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 it acted like one piece. 
they, they test those things to the point of failure and the failure didn't happen at a, at a splice. It just happened probably at the point of greatest pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, monolithic concrete is important for the permitting and the, uh, some people do a whole monolithic house structure, but with your designs, you've printed in multiple different elements. Yep. Uh, how did you come to that decision? Uh, so part of it was I wanted as few of cold joints as possible. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we can't quite print one element in a single day. We're going to have a cold joint, but the fewer the better. So uh, the fact that we have these, these opposing full height openings means I could drop my x-axis down and do it that way. And so where possible, we want to try and continue to design that way, but it's not always guaranteed. Design won't always allow for it. But that was really the driving factor is the fewer the coal joints, the better. Also, it helps with alignment issues the next day. If, you know, if I don't have to slight alignment adjustment issues, you know, Again, down the road, I don't want to ever know that, oh, yeah, that was the end of day one and the start of day two, you know. The more we can avoid that, the better. Yeah, the uh, cold joint thing is something a lot of people overlook. I think after you finish a day of printing, you need a layer of dual bond epoxy before the next concrete so that you get something monolithic that epoxy bonds it to the next layers. Yep. Um, the epoxy is not cheap. I looked on Amazon, a five-gallon bucket is like $1,500 or something like that. So how much cost does it add each? Or another way to ask it is how much are you saving if you can avoid a cold joint per cold joint? No, that, that's absolutely right. And to be very honest with you, I'm a little less concerned right now about our cost. Yeah. I want to prove that we can build these things. And we got through our first one and we're starting our second one. I am a little less concerned, but you're exactly right. Like if I can use half as much on on a job because we're doing full height prints or half height prints every day then it it does save us you know one of the things that we're looking at is uh so our our print head and i actually have a printed sample of one here too yeah yeah so um generally our print head is uh it's extruding uh a layer that is two inches wide and after we get up off the off the slab, we're installing our side trowels on it, and and we're running it through it. And, and certainly, it's extruding at two inches. But by the time we're said and done, by the time we're layering up, we probably end up at closer to two and a half inches, just because a little bit of slump, a little bit of this and that. So, um, one of the changes we made, and so what that did, it created some rough openings that were a little too tight for doors and windows. Mm -hmm. uh, it it uh, the, the voids that we left in between some of our narrower walls got actually a little too tight in some cases. So we learned from it and we created a new flap for ours, a new, new side trowels that actually encroach into the opening. So now we are technically just printing an inch and three quarter wide, but by the time it's done, it's going to end up two inches plus anyway. Um, but if you think about it, when you talk about cost savings, that just saved us 12.5% on our material because mm -hmm. now we're extruding at an inch and three quarter instead of two inches, right? So there are, um, just like the exponential technology, there's going to be some big swings in savings, in, in design. There's going to be some big swings. And that's really, quite honestly, part of the fun of all this is that we get to be a part of those big swings. Yeah, there's so many facets that need uh, improvement. So I guess at this early stage, you're not really zoning it. There's so many tiny little ones. You're focused on the big picture uh, and working towards all the intricacies, which is promising towards the future of the industry, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so you mentioned another printer. Your logo features a robotic arm printer. Uh, are you committed to Cobot for the second printer or would you shop around? So our, our tagline is that we're, we're implementing tomorrow's construction technology. So uh, we, the, our end goal in Emergent 3D uh, is to get homes built mm -hmm. uh, and printed uh, right now. The more as we're at the very, we're the early adopter and we're printing in concrete. When I was doing my research and saw that they were 3D printing uh, in human tissue, uh, I realized, okay, uh, the construction industry and the application of this technology to construction is going to only accelerate all the faster. 
uh, if NASA is and Elon Musk and the others are looking to fully automate and send autonomous 3D printing and construction robots to the moon or to Mars, we have a long way to go yet. And so we are, but we need families and homes now. I think this, the stat is over a billion people in our world are under housed in some way. That shouldn't happen in the 21st century with technology like this available to us. Construction is the last industry for to be massively disrupted by uh, exponential te technologies. It's here, it's coming, it's gonna continue to accelerate. And so we uh, right now are, are using the Cobot you know, 3D printer, but we are gonna be implementing as the builder all these new technologies because then that, that means homes are built quicker, uh, that means a re reduction in cost. And the stat that we like to say is right now, for every five uh, that are retiring out of the industry uh, within construction, only one's coming in. That means, and that's going to be over the next eight to ten years. Uh, the, the largest cohort of the trades right now is within the baby boom generation. They, the first wave of re uh, retirement started in 2013, and by 2030, uh, they'll have uh, fully retired out as a generation. And that means that we're gonna have an 80% reduction uh, in the overall trades. And so uh, in order for us to address that 80%, uh, we need to be automating. Uh, the only other option is to mass immigration, but uh, economies are, are developing around the world where by 2030, we're gonna be competing as a country against you know Japan and, and Europe and other developing so this uh, idea that we can just import all the uh, the skilled labor that we need that that that's that ship has sailed and so uh, we need to be a training up uh, locally and then uh, exponential technology in my mind is the only uh, option to stopgap that and to, to accelerate and fill that void otherwise once our supply chains and everything settles down and, uh, and, and materials come you know, back to normal pricing and all of that uh, post uh, the pandemic. But if you can't get uh, trades to come on to the site like it is now, and it, it's going to get worse and worse year on year, we're going to continue to have projects bottlenecked at a standstill. And, and as we're experiencing, people are outbidding each other. You know, this, We'll come into my site. We'll come to my site and come to my site, and so, um, so we are going to be implementing then the early adopters uh, for all these new robotic uh, construction robotics. Yeah, I see it the same way, and that's why even if there's some kind of downturn, like 2008 style crash for a couple of years, in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, there's going to be a huge need for automation in construction. And yeah. So it's uh there may be a lull, but that time is almost needed to figure out those R&D efforts and maximize the impact of the technology so that when it's time to be explosive, you guys can really grow very fast. And, and you were talking, we were talking about Tesla. I mean, if, if you look at, at, at their factory, the uh, percentage or the ratio from humans to robots building uh, an ultra sophisticated uh, product, uh, a, a house certainly can go that direction. It's just it hasn't been applied there, and the R and D funds haven't gone there. But we are in as a world economy at that point where we have a housing crisis, so that that R and D is now being poured in, and so it's exciting. This next the ten years is going to be uh, super exciting to be a part of, and we're just glad that we're we're in it and bringing real world solutions. So one of the features you have on your printer is a batch plant mixer. Uh, do you think you'd order a second batch plant mixer if you got another printer, or would you experiment with different mixing pumping methods? We've got um, <clears throat> who I believe is probably one of the top guys in the world as part of our team. Uh, Dr. Babak Zarayan is, is our CTO, and that's his decision, quite frankly. We'll, we'll defer to his advice on on any of that and and even back to the conversation about you know uh, Cobot and you know the robotic arm question on the logo quite frankly the robotic arm on the logo is there because it tells a story I mean it, it's hard to tell that story with if, if our logo had a gantry printer on there but the robotic right. arm it tells a story yeah, it's but, understandable yeah 
But our, our selection of using Kovod was because we identified them as being the world leader. And quite frankly, this, this industry is rapidly growing, rapidly changing. And Kovod's going to need to remain the world leader if they want, you know, if they still want to be relevant. So they would love to keep selling to us. We would love to keep buying from them as long as they are the world leader. And, and I see no signs of them slowing down. And so we're glad to be in the position that we are, that's for sure. When it comes to the batch plant, I like that we can use bigger aggregate. I like that we can locally source material and not have to buy some high-end mortar from somewhere else and have to truck it in. I can locally source everything. So that part's really nice. Whether we use a different manufacturer's batch plant or something different, again, I would, I would leave that to, to Bob Aki. He's much more capable of making those decisions than we are. Yeah, certainly. He's a great uh, material scientist, uh, really knowledgeable about the industry. So what does Emergent 3D need the most right now to grow and reach your goals? Right now, I would say just a little more time. You know, again, we just finished our first home. We've got, as, as we sit here today, our crew has six more homes lined out to do one after another. The beauty of it, from my perspective, is that they are the same home over and over. So there are so many variables in this industry. It's kind of nice to eliminate that one, mm -hmm. you know. So we just need a little more time, perfect our craft a little bit. Uh, and then while we are doing that, Matt and his team are bringing more projects to being shovel ready. So it's, it's just a little more time, quite frankly. And, cool. and, and for people to just to see that again that is it's science fact not science fiction and that these homes are are desirable and livable so that for the uh yeah the, the market to understand okay this is this is a home that is is what a normal family you know would live in not not it's not futuristic it's it's something that that they wouldn't live in and so just Educating and, and, and seeing enough of that, you know, where people are like, okay, yeah, this is a real mm -hmm. home. Yeah. Do either of you have any plans to print your own home? I'd love it. Yeah. <laughs> so you were over at my house last night. We just built that home before I was in the 3D printing industry. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife loves it there. So it's a beautiful house. Thank you. But, uh, she would love it too, but she says, but we'd have to do it right here, and I don't think we want to tear that house down. <laughs> so, who knows? Maybe someday we'd have a second home. So, we'll see about it. Yeah. If anybody's listening, uh, let's say they want to work with you uh, as a, they want to be the general contractor, subcontract you out, what's the best way for them to approach you intelligently? They can uh, reach out to uh, or go to our, our website, emergent-3d.com. Um, all the information is there. We have a, a contact us form, um, and our team uh, is right on top of it, and we'll uh, uh, get, right, uh, get right back to you. That was something that uh, early in the industry, Cobot um, was the only one that uh, reached back out to me <laughs> and said, hey, let's talk. So it's uh, customer service is extremely important to us, and so... Um, we will get back uh, immediately. Uh, and be so, the best. Yep. Is there any way that somebody can, uh, information they should include to uh, speed up the process? Um, well, it, in our uh, contact us uh, form, we have three different, uh, sure. and so if they're a developer, but anybody who reaches out to us, our team is uh, is going to get right back to we'll them. We'll get back to them. Are yeah. you guys hiring? We're always looking for great talent. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Always. So what kind of roles would it be or if somebody's really passionate and has a good idea, you'd listen? You know, we're open-minded to any and all, quite frankly. Yeah. Oftentimes, I'll evaluate the talent and perhaps we make modifications to what we're doing and how we're doing it because of that. That's so, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If we, want, we want the best and the brightest. Yep. And as we, uh, as we scale, obviously we're going to need many more uh, print crews. So everything that goes into you know, that, that team... Um, and, and as we scale as a company and have to open up, you know, new divisions and that type of thing. So we're, uh, we're going to, we're open to everything. What's the project lineup that you have after this? So after the one we're doing right now, we've got another site here in Reading. 
that we will actually print, be printing that same 1200 square foot house four times right on one piece of property. So that's going to be really great because in it, it's just different. We won't have to transport. We'll, as we're taking equipment down off of one, we're setting it up on the other. So it'll be, you know, a little more intensified, you know, demobilization and, and mobilization process. So we've got those four to do. And then after that, we're heading down to paradise and we want to show the town of paradise that lost 14,000 homes a few years ago. We want to show them what is possible. And so the one we're doing down in paradise, we're doing it on our dime. We're building it just, you can call it a spec house or just a model home. We just want people to see what is possible with this technology. And, uh, and then perhaps we end up building a whole lot more down there. Yeah. And then behind that, we're partnered with Habitat for Humanity, Tuolumne County. Yeah. So we have, uh, we fully ADA uh, compliant senior uh, senior homes down there, um, so that that's an initial pilot project with Habitat for Humanity, um, and they want to do many you know many more. So um, that these three homes are going to round out uh, a development that they they did, and um, and then in Paradise, uh, where uh, we want to be serving the disaster recovery uh, effort there, and so because they have fourteen thousand homes, I think. 2,000 have been rebuilt, and so they, they have a long ways to go. We yeah. want to support that. How does Reddick compare? It seems mostly built back up. I think everybody that wanted to rebuild has rebuilt. Many people have moved to other places. Uh, uh, it is mostly built back up, but you can still drive around and see a lot of lots that used to have a home there mm -hmm. that now there isn't. So, I don't know, out of the 1,400, how many have been rebuilt, but I would estimate probably half of them. Yeah, and I, I think that and there's now new you know families that are coming in and, and buying those you know the the burn scar lots and uh, so they, they may be a, a totally new family from somewhere else. So. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Is there anything we didn't cover that we should touch on? I don't. I don't think so. I think. Uh, you know, we're again. If it didn't come across, we're just super excited to be a part of this industry. I'm, I'm in my later years of, of working. You know, usually people around my age are retiring by now, yeah. but this has absolutely reinvigorated me. I, I, I think um, I, I looked at a lot of different 3D print jobs over the last several years, and one of the things I'm extremely thankful for is that a younger generation of brilliant people made the computer able to talk to the big machine and, and extrude, right? It's, it's stuff that I'll never understand. I don't really need to get how it all works. I don't need to learn all that. So I really appreciate all that. What I found though, in a lot of what I saw being built was that um, some of these homes uh, just didn't have the livability that I would like to see. And so um, I feel like that's probably my role and our part in all this is that maybe with my experience that we can bring a little more livability to these homes, you know, that make it a little more mass appealing. I, I feel like 3D printing is in a honeymoon stage right now and everybody's going to ooh and awe over the stratified layers. But they're going to get pretty tired of that six months or a year after living there and trying to keep it clean and trying to, you know, just dealing with it all. So um, I want to look beyond the honeymoon. And I, I want to. I want to just make these homes a little more livable, bring a little more of the old world, I guess, you know, approach to the finishes. So um, I feel like we're positioned to do that, and that, that's where we're at. Our our goal is not to be a three D printing uh, R and D company or a hobbyist in any way. We're a construction company. Yeah. We want to build real homes for real people, and we want to do a bunch of them. That this is just a different kind of hammer. It's a way that we can. It, it's it's solving some of the problems that we have in an industry that I've had in the, in this industry, and, and that's really all this is. And and so if we can create more beautiful homes with less man hours required to do it, and we could do it in a quicker time frame, um, then we've achieved our goals. Awesome. Yeah, and and then I guess the last thing I'd say is, uh, as a company uh, coming out of the car fire, uh, our company has always been community solution based and we, we and trying to benefit as many of the stakeholders in the community as possible so um, that's why we're just honored to have uh, partnered with the city of Reading and with the housing nonprofit access home 
um, because that three-legged stool is what allows these uh, you know larger projects uh, to get uh, off the ground, um, and uh, and so we uh, if if there's any municipalities or housing nonprofits or developers that are watching. And that's who we really want to be uh, serving because that means uh, those that eco partnership ecosystem, as we call it, allows projects to to actually happen and more people to get in homes. So um, that's that's we're community solution based. So yeah, yeah. There's definitely some of those people listening. So click the link in the description and reach out to these guys. Uh, I'm excited to go. We get to go visit your print after this, and if all goes well, uh, that footage will be included in the other YouTube video. Uh, if it doesn't go so well, it'll just be the tour of the first house you printed, but fingers crossed. Uh, yesterday, you did some troubleshooting. The file was a little bit too wide, or the plumber put something in the wrong... Yeah, so, a couple uh, of things. Made some digital adjustments, and uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes today. I'm really looking forward to it. Very good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for letting me uh, do this podcast with you guys and letting me stop by your prints in California. So yeah, thanks, Jerry. Catch you next time. We appreciate right. it. Thank you.